welcome to Double Feature with Cheryl and Angela. I'm one of your co-hosts, Cheryl. And I'm your other co-host, Angela. So usually we <laughs> we watch a new movie and then we watch an old movie, mm-hmm. but we messed up again. So we're going to watch fine. an old movie first and then watch a new movie, which may honestly be a better format. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're already like 10 episodes in. Yeah. It's fine. We're testing something. Hopefully we're Yeah. Um, but anyway, this week, our throwback, uh, was throwback. the, yes, throwback for, well, I mean, it's like 30 years old, so. Oh, gosh. It kind of counts. Oh, no. Um, it was only made in 1993. That makes me feel ancient. It's The Age of Innocence, uh, which was directed by Martin Scorsese and mm-hmm. stars Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Winona. Winona Ryder. Yes, Winona Ryder. Let's jump right into it. Uh, general thoughts. Okay, uh, so I watched this movie in two parts because it was very, very long. Yeah, it's so long. Um, I think my main, like, takeaway was just, it's so strange how movies were made back then. (laughs) Yeah. And it's only been, like, well, close to 30 years, but movies back then, especially these, like, novel adaptations, are just so weird compared to any of the movies that we see now. I feel like this movie is definitely something that can't be made in 2019, both in content, in, like, audience interest, and also just in, like, I don't know, dialogue and just everything about the movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just something very odd about the way the movie is set up. Um, I didn't really like the overall technical side. Like, I think the movie is put together very beautifully, but I didn't appreciate that it was two and a half hours long. I didn't, so long. It was so long. I didn't really like the weird voiceover narration thing that happened oh, throughout yeah. the entire movie. And I just I just feel like I'm very bored by the subject. <laughs> like, I can appreciate how well put together this movie is, but overall, I just don't like it. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah. I feel that. We can just end the podcast right <laughs> no, we have to hear your thoughts. Yes, too. yes. yes. Um, Cheryl, what did you so think? So I definitely thought this movie was way too long. It's two hours and 20 minutes, and you definitely could have shaved, like, 30 minutes off of it, and it would have been, like, absolutely fine. Um, but I have to say, like, as a fan of period dramas, I love my period dramas. Um, okay. And as a fan, I actually really like this movie. Okay. It definitely, like, has some really strange technical choices that have not aged well in the 30 years since this movie premiered Mm -hmm. but um yeah I mean I I really I really enjoyed it for me it's like I do like historical dramas like I really liked uh another one of Martin Scorsese's films uh Silence which was made I think only like two years ago it was beautiful and it was just one of the most like visually like appealing movies that I've seen in probably a really long time but at the same time I felt like even that was something that was definitely made in this like era whereas yeah. like this movie felt like something that could have been made I think in like even the 1950s it was just it was so of its time like the 1870s or whatever I feel yeah. like rather than something that's made in like the, the 1900s <laughs> so really you think that this this movie feels like it was made in the 1870s well there well first of all there weren't actually movies back yeah then, but right. I feel like the like this is the closest embodiment I think to something that is historically accurate than 
I don't know, because you, you see movies that are about history now, and they definitely don't feel like they're made in that time period. Like, even, like, things like Amadeus don't feel like it's very now, and I think it's because of the combination of, like, humor and just dialogue and just the way it's, like, kind of quippy. But this movie felt like I was watching history unfold, and I don't know <laughs> if I like that. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, let's move on to the plot, (laughs) Um, which, so this movie is based on a novel called The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton, and it was published in 1920, Mm -hmm. um, but set in the 1870s. So even when the novel was published, it was a period drama. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought the the plot was super convoluted, and, like, mm. there's so many different, like, random secondary characters that you just don't care about, and you right. don't know their names, and, like, they're just a bunch of, like, old white dudes who yeah. are really rich, and, like, I don't know, they, they, like, never openly, like, that's something that I thought was really interesting. They never openly talk about the central, like, couple, or, or like, the central, like, plot of the movie is something that is extremely hidden like Mm -hmm. no one ever talks about it um in the film like there's like this whole conspiracy to keep the two main characters newland archer and ellen olenska apart Mm -hmm. but like no one says anything like even all the way to the very end of the movie nobody ever mentions it which just like drives me crazy but also i think it is a really good like, I think it, I think that it, we're going to cut this part. Um, <laughs> let me just think for a while. Um, I think that it represents the world that this movie takes place in very mm. well. Like, just the fact that everything is hidden and, like, nothing is spoken about openly. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, definitely speaks to all of the, like, social restrictions that existed during this time. Yeah, and another thing, like, what you just mentioned that just stood out to me was the idea that, like, everything's just so formal, and there's, like, it's so formal to the point that it kind of is very cold and, like, almost hostile while Mm -hmm. you're watching this movie, and that, for me, was, like, I don't know, I can't really tell at this point if it was, like, Scorsese's, like, actual intention, because... Like, he could be using this kind of, like, coldness to just represent the entire society. Like, it could be just, like, an artistic choice, but it could also just be because it's of its time. Like, yeah. the scene that st- uh, stands out to me is the part where, um, what is it, like, uh, Winona Ryder's character, May, is, like, coming in to see her husband and, like, tell him that she's pregnant. <laughs> and she walks in and she, like, peeks her head, like out the door and it looks like I don't know she it, she acts like she's a servant or someone who's not in the family and when they're speaking to each other there's like a literal like physical distance between the two of them and it's like she's sitting there like all the way like probably like 10 feet across from him <laughs> just sitting there and I just feel like it's such a formal like cold almost like sterile kind of feeling and I yeah I can't really uh I don't know maybe that's an- another reason why yeah. I didn't really like the movie but yeah I mean I do think that that was kind of one of the major themes of the film just that like everything in in this world is fake and Mm. like there's no passion or like genuine feeling it's just all kind of like money and social status and and all of that um yeah yeah uh but 
it it's kind of like a precursor to Gossip Girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, you wrote this down yes. in our notes. Please explain. Yes, yes. So, I mean, like this movie is set in New York, and it's um, it's about like upper class, like super wealthy people who are you know, like, getting married and getting divorced and having affairs and, like, you know, the money is, like, a big issue. And and it's so much like Gossip Girl. Uh, and they actually, there's an episode in Gossip Girl called The Age of Dissonance, oh, which, uh, like, in which the main characters, like, stage a production of The Age of Innocence. Hmm. Um, and so, like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like nothing has changed (laughs) and I mean like obviously in a lot of ways like this movie could not have been made now um but in a lot of ways it has been made recently in the form of Gossip Girl um it's just like a different like the style is different but like the content is very similar okay um so what did you uh think about the characters um I think okay so one of the things that I noticed about, like, all the different characters was it's very interesting how the characters kind of play off of one another. Um, I think we actually have slightly different interpretations of some of these characters. Yeah. But I think, I didn't really get a sense that, like, um, like, Newland, Archer, is, like, the, the, the victim in the situation, and I didn't feel like his betrothed, um, May was, like, the villain. Um, to a certain extent. And I feel like I can see, like, how she can be portrayed as a villain, but I think it's kind of strange that the movie is almost, like, hinting towards that even at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think that, um, Newland is definitely portrayed as, like, the victim of, like, all of these, you know, machinations that are going on around him. Um, but, like... Yeah, I I just think it's ridiculous because, like, he's the one who's cheating on his wife mm-hmm. and, like, he's the one who's, like, a super wealthy white guy. Who, who to, like, I don't know, he does law. He's a fancy lawyer. Yeah. Like, his family's super wealthy. Yeah, so it's just, I don't know. I mean, like, there are definitely times where you feel bad for him just because he, like, you know, falls in love and, like, can't be with the woman that he's in love with. Um but also, there are times when they're together when he acts so entitled. Like, yeah. he just acts entitled to her time, to her life. Um, and it's just like, no, calm down. Like, you just, ugh, go away. <laughs> um, yeah. But I I mean, I also think that, like, the, I don't know, maybe the movie even, like, wants you to think, like, this isn't the way that it should be. And, mm. like... You shouldn't feel bad for Newland. You should feel bad for Ellen and May because they're the ones who are, like, really suffering. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, what did you think? Um, specifically about Newland, I think he's, he's like, a very complicated but also, like, it's hard for me to feel any kind of empathy for him. Yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like he is literally living his best life with the exception of the fact that he can't have this one girl that he falls in love with but it's also like like I guess it's the societal like boundaries of their like situation of their status of their family that just prevents them from being together but it's also I think himself Mm -hmm. to to a certain extent because I feel like if um, Ellen is willing and 
capable of divorcing her crappy husband like and be ostracized from society if he really loved her and like is willing to make that sacrifice he'd be able to like you know be with her but on the other hand society is the way it is but I also think if he were a braver more courageous man yeah like he could have just made the fall but ultimately I think he it's like the movie tries to portray him as like the victim of the society whereas I feel like he's actually someone who's complicit in the society where he basically reinforces like all the status the different levels of status and like by by ultimately not giving into his passion and I feel like it's not a great situation overall yeah yeah definitely very frustrating um so Ellen Olenska Countess Ellen Olenska is the um is I don't yes is Michelle Pfeiffer I mean like honestly you could just say that Mm. like Ellen Olenska is Michelle Pfeiffer and you just you know everything there is to know I feel like she plays the same kind of like broken yeah like almost victimized woman woman Mm -hmm. yes woman in a lot of these films in like the 90s like well specifically this one and i'm thinking um catwoman yeah to an extent which we talked about last week but a different one (laughs) yeah um yeah yeah i kind of feel like she's a bit of a manic pixie dream girl like Mm. she's just kind of this object that newland wants Mm -hmm. um which is so sad because like Really, Michelle Pfeiffer is such a great actress. And, like, she does such a good job in this movie. I thought she was really great. But, like, yeah, I feel like the movie doesn't treat her as anything more than just, like, something for him to pursue. And I, for me, I can't really understand exactly why he falls for her. Because I understand why he's not exactly attracted to May. Because he thinks she's very, like, innocent and shallow and just, like, lacks any kind of, like, depth. But then he's drawn to this character who's, like, I guess broken by mm-hmm. society. And it's, like, I don't know. I, I do agree with that whole, like, manic pixie dream girl thing where she's, yeah. like, she's quirky. She's different. She's mm-hmm. not like all the other women in society. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just frustrating that, like, I don't know. I feel like, like, if the movie treated her as the main character instead of Newland, mm-hmm. it could have been a way more interesting movie. Yeah. Um, just because she's like, like she is the one who is suffering. Like mm-hmm. she's the one who's been outcast and ostracized, and like, you know, her family's kind of all against her, but nobody ever says it openly to her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she is a really like broken person. Um, and yeah, I just I feel like she like if she was the focus of the film, it would have been way better. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, like you were talking about, um, May Welland, who is uh, what's his face's wife, Newland's wife, Archer. I just call him Archer. Uh, Archer, yeah, Archer's wife, um, is played by Winona Ryder, which I think She's is so funny because so good the, yeah. in her role. Yeah, um, like really, the only thing that I know Winona Ryder from is Stranger Things. Me too. I was just about so to say. like. To see her go, like, I mean, I don't know, to see her, like, play this role is, like, definitely super different than what I'm used to and what I feel like a lot of people our age are used to. Um, She's super innocent and, like, sweet and, like, nice, but also at the end she, like, so I don't know if you caught this, but she 
told Ellen that mm-hmm. she was sure that she was pregnant, even though she didn't know. Oh. Which is what, like, mm. ultimately drove her away, I think. Like, drove Ellen away. Wait, but I thought the doctor... Or, okay, so when she was telling Ellen then, at that point, she she wasn't fully sure yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but then she acted mm. like she was so that Ellen would leave. Um, and then when she tells Archer in their, like, I don't know, drawing room or whatever, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, that's, that's, like, when she's actually sure. So, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, so it, it, like, the movie definitely kind of, like, makes her seem like she's complicit as well in this whole system of Mm. conspiracy, which... I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, she's so young. She's like twenty-one, I think. Oh, um, that's old for this time. Yeah. <laughs> she should have like five children. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Um, I think she's. It's interesting because I did see her as this very kind of like weak, angelic figure, mm-hmm. and. I don't exactly like how she could be viewed as a villain in this situation, Mm -hmm. especially since, like, the two women in this are, like, almost, like, playing each other as the villain. Yeah. And that's, like, a whole different can of worms that we'll probably get into later. But just the idea that, like, even though the man is the (coughs) one who is actively pursuing Ellen, um, he's the one that first, like, approaches her. Uh, Like, he is kind of entirely removed from any, like, sin or guilt of this whole entire thing and he's taken as the victim whereas like may is treated as the villain for loving her husband and trying to like make sure that he remains faithful <laughs> and yeah then ellen is is seen as also yet another villain for i guess getting i don't know removing herself and not being willing to like give in to to this affair yeah and i feel like both are just I don't know very very like traditional ways of viewing women and i think that's another reason why i feel like this movie shouldn't have even been made in the 90s like i feel like it's a very traditional mindset even for the 90s mm. yeah yeah but, yeah. Okay. yeah no it's very sad um that these women are like portrayed like this but uh that kind of segues us into uh talking about like some of the themes of this movie um so like earlier we talked about kind of uh, one of the themes being like the hypocrisy of the american upper class and um just like overindulgence and uh and all of that um do you think that like this film effectively kind of made you not dislike but just kind of like doubt the the legitimacy of of the american dream i feel like hmm. like the movie kind of like the movie definitely wants to say like america is very much the same as as europe um with regard to class mm-hmm. um yeah so what did you what did you think about that that's actually an interesting point like i didn't really think about that as much i just saw it as more as just like the upper class is always going to like remain regardless mm-hmm. um but i also think it's because of this like it's portraying the 1870s i believe so that was that's an interesting time i guess that's where all the i don't know like, it's like the gilded age gilded age 
pre-industrial like revolution. US history, AP US history. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think this, uh, for me, I didn't, I didn't really see the hypocrisy of, of the American upper class because I felt like, I don't know, it's, it's the same as, like, I feel like human nature is just going to be the same regardless whether or not you are of the upper class. I saw it more as just, like, the movie showed a lot, I think, on the overindulgence of the upper class um, in terms of, yeah, like, what you said, like, the similarities to Europe, like, just the parts in the movies, um, in the movie that are, like, food and the opera and theater are just such prominent characters almost in this entire movie like there's so many scenes of opera and yeah so so <laughs> yes those well. definitely could have been cut out yeah, for sure like all of them all, well i don't know maybe like the first one was fine because it so long. it opens <laughs> it opens <laughs> it was it was literally like three four minutes yeah it was it opera. was really long i mean i feel like you could have kept that but if you like got rid of all the other opera that was in the this other? movie yeah <laughs> it would have been okay yeah and i think there was it almost felt like i was watching like a food instagram sometimes <laughs> like there were such close-up beautiful shots of just food yeah like slicing salmon or like crawfish placed delicately on the side of this alaskan salmon thing and i i think it was very it showed kind of what the upper class could afford but i never i never got the sense that it was like trying to tackle the issue of like class um Mm. because there wasn't like a juxtaposition with (coughs) like the lower classes yeah that's true um i thought i thought it was so there's one quote from this movie that um, really stuck out to me, and it's what Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Ellen, says. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when they, f- when she and Archer first meet. Okay. Um, and she, she said something like, you know, this is just like Europe. Like, you know, everybody's super rich and, like, is kind of terrible. And, <laughs> um, and like why would you like why does america matter if like it's just a copy of everything else that came before it Mm -hmm. um and i thought that really questions whether or not america is like like a worthwhile country or maybe worthwhile is not the right word but like just like a country that that is actually different from anything else. Mm. Like, you know, and it, it definitely proclaims itself to be. Um, but, you know, it, it treats social outcasts the same way that any other society does. Um, and I feel like you definitely see that uh, in this film. Like, especially with Ellen, it's just like, she's a social outcast and she's treated like one. And, you know, there is no second chance and there's no mercy or compassion. Um, and it, I, yeah, I mean, I I definitely feel like this this kind of points out the hypocrisy of kind of like the American narrative um, in in trying to overcome class differences. Like it, America hasn't done that. It's been unsuccessful. I can see that, but I feel like it's not necessarily like. Cons- I feel like it is very much constrained to the upper class. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think I if I'm understanding you correctly i feel like you're trying to you're like saying that it's it's like because there's similarities to europe that america itself is not able to actually fulfill the american dream and it's not as like 
scrappy and hardworking of a country as like it proclaims to be but i feel like this is something it's like a phenomenon very constrained to the upper class that like oligarchy is everywhere and oligarchy is always going to be the same regardless of which country you're in i can understand what you're saying though let's move on to um some of the like random editing (laughs) things that were like really weird and like really old fashioned i don't know i don't feel like that's the right word it's just like weird it's of a different time like yeah i even remember when we were watching the trailers for this movie like it's a very old style trailer where they narrate literally everything that happens rather than showing you what actually happens and i think that's one of my main gripes with this entire movie is that i think it's so ancient and just like I, i i just felt like aren't we like past this form of storytelling by the freaking 90s like it's very it's very old and like it literally tries to tell you what is happening and i think it's because it's like a novel adaptation but it literally narrates everything for you and rather than that i think that's the thing like i think in a film you should be using like emotions and like the actors to like illustrate an idea or like an emotion rather than like oh my dearest blah 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 like this is how he was feeling at this moment and i yeah i feel like it kind of fails as a movie because of yeah that. it felt like i was kind of listening to an audiobook yeah <laughs> happened to have like images yeah. <laughs> so. yeah yeah i so one particular thing um that i didn't like that kind of relates to what you just said um, was the whole like reading letters out mm. loud? Um, I was caught off like, guard. Like, yeah, first one. it was kind of like a talking head from from like Parks and Rec or something. Yeah. Like, but stares directly. At yes, the camera. they. Yeah, the actors are literally looking directly at the camera and just reading a letter out loud. And like that, almost portraying the emotions on their face as yeah. if that was. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's so strange. But they're like reading the letters out loud to the audience and it's it's so it's just like what like mm-hmm. no um it, <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> yeah it's just it was so weird like it was so off-putting um be- especially because it didn't happen every time a letter was right. written it was just like some random letters like this feature was added on to it another thing but, that could have been cut from the movie i think yeah they were just like for sure I don't know. It was, like, it literally read, like, a book, I think, is a thing. Yeah. Because, like, I'm sure in the book it was, like, it prints out the entire letter for you to read. But right. in a movie, you should be balancing, like, using the character reacting to the letter at, rather than literally having them yeah. read out the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so another weird editing choice was, like, the spotlights. Mm-hmm. Like, there would be random times. I remember specifically once when Daniel Day-Lewis is reading a letter and, like, there's a spotlight just on his eyes. Like, everything else kind of is, like, dark. And then there's a light that's shining just, like, on the top half of his face. (laughs) And it's an actual spotlight. Yeah. Like, you see it almost like a light at a play or something, like, zooming in on his face. Like, it's not even, like, a cut. Right. And there's, like, light. It's... It's very, like, theatrical in that sense. Like, actually old-style theater. Okay, so another kind of random thing that I wanted to mention is that, like, this movie has so much big-name talent. And, like, they're all... Like, all of these people are still really famous. Yeah. So I kind of wonder 
Like, what led them to to do this movie? They probably weren't as relevant back then, right? Maybe. And then well, by I mean, working with, like, Martin Scorsese, like, maybe that was their big break. Not well, the big break, but, like, it continued their fame or whatever. Right. Okay, yeah. But I think The Age of Innocence was the year after Batman Returns. Hmm. Um, so she was, I mean, I guess, like, Michelle Pfeiffer... Or no, she had already been in Dangerous Liaisons. So, I don't know. <laughs> and Scarface. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, yeah. I don't know if she had ever worked with Scorsese before, so maybe she just thought, like, I'm going to work with Martin Scorsese. And, like, that's, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? So yeah. And um, there was, like, Richard E. Grant, who was still right. making really, like, good movies and still getting nominated for all sorts of different films and i uh, yeah Yeah. there is like a lot of big names i can't remember what her name is but like the grandmother like the matriarch oh yes mingot or something (laughs) is that her name it's her last name (laughs) grandmother mingot Uh, (laughs) but yeah also those chihuahuas were not chihuahuas what are we saying pomeranians pomeranians yeah yes those were so cute (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this movie, I think, is very, I don't know, of its time. Yeah, definitely a movie of its time. Um, couldn't have been made today, just mm-hmm. like you said. Um, but, I mean, I think that we've, like, seen a lot of progress in terms of period dramas. Like, I think mm-hmm. that they rely, nowadays, rely a lot less on, like, kind of kitschy... Is that, is that the word? Yeah, but, like, kitschy... kitschy. like random I don't know just like things like the spotlight or the letter or like the weird kind of like I don't know just like color palette or you know at certain points um and like I think they also kind of rely less on the overt drama like I think of like Pride and Prejudice which is like 10 years younger than this movie or a little bit more than 10 years younger I think um and, like, that's a very kind of, like, simple, like, down-to-earth film, yeah. which, like, with just, like, good dialogue and, like, good cinematography and costume design. Yeah. Um, unlike this movie, which is just kind of over-the-top in everything that it does. Um, and just, yeah, just relies on, like, drama too yeah. much. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm trying to think of, like, the modern equivalent of this movie. And yeah. I honestly can't. And I mean, we're watching the aftermath next week, so preview. Um, right. But even I feel like historical movies now are focused on either an event, like they center an event around one person's story, like I'm thinking like Saving Private Ryan kind of thing, or like they centered it around like a very famous person, and it's never like this, like amorphous. Who is this random guy who happens to be? like in this relationship I feel like now it's like you do need to rely on either a big name event or a character right to actually like deliver any kind of historical um movie but yeah yeah I don't know what's the latest historical movie you've seen oh I I don't know I mean I so I love the king's speech which was made about a decade ago Mm. um and that just like you said that is centered around like one person um, King George VI, who, and, like, one part of his life, which was his speech impediment. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's super different than this, which is kind of about, like, random fictional characters. Um, and the King's speech is also just, like, very kind of 
minimal, I feel like. Um, it really just focuses on, like, two main characters and, like, their relationship. And even even though it's, like, set in Buckingham Palace, some like, there are scenes in Buckingham Palace, like, it never feels like, oh, this is, you know, like, this is royalty and, like, mm. he's an important man. It just kind of feels like he's a guy who's trying to, like, do his duty, you know? Mm. Um, and I think... Well, to bring this back to the purpose of our podcast is to kind of see, like, the evolution of, like, film over time. I think what you can draw from this movie is that, like, people now need characters that they can actually relate to in a movie, whereas people of the 90s, apparently, (laughs) were, like, kind of willing to just idolize people and, like, Mm. observe, like, something happening that they can't necessarily relate to. I mean, there is, like, the whole, like oh, well, they won't, they get together kind of thing. But I think it's, it's like, of that time, I guess, it was just cinema didn't require you to actually have, like, such an invested role in any of the actual people. It, it was just like, as long as this situation is happening, maybe people can get something from it. And I think that's changed a lot, because right now I can't really think of any film that is centered around, like, any of like small scale event other than like a comedy where like right. things are just happening and you're observing what's happening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. So. Okay. Well, I think that is it for this week. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Um, next week, like Angela mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. we are going to be watching The Aftermath, starring <laughs> Kira Knightley and someone else. A Skarsgård. A Skarsgård. Yes. One of those. I don't know I which it's, one. It's not Bill because he's. The it. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I think it's Alexander. I think it's Alexander. Yes. Yeah. That one. Not Stellan. (laughs) Yes. Um, But, yeah. So, please join us next week for our discussion of that. Hopefully, it'll be, I don't know, bearable. (laughs) The movie will be bearable. Yeah. Let's let's hope. (laughs) Yes. we'll, We'll see. We'll see. See you next week. 